We're continuing our series today, and, and I have to tell you to get us going. Um, there's an area of my life when it comes to my family that I feel like I've lost credibility with, and that is my amazing ability to get lost in any situation when I'm driving a car, any situation. Some of you have heard me talk about this before. I have been lost literally in Rome. I've been lost in New York City. I've been lost in Chicago. I've been lost in Fort Wayne. I have been lost in Delphus, stinking Ohio. I get lost almost everywhere I go. It is an art form for me. And to get us going, I want to give you four you know, pieces of the art of lostness. The four pieces of the art of lostness. So you just may not know this if you're a good directionally. Just, just, you know, I'm so bad at directions that when I drive, every person in my family has their phone out telling me where to go. That's how bad this is. But, but for us to get lost easily, here's what you need to know. We, we don't get lost on purpose. We don't. Hey, I, I, I'm going to pick on, can this come down just a little bit, guys? Just a hair, that would be great. Um, we do not get lost on purpose purpose. It's not our choice. In fact, it's almost impossible to get lost on purpose because it just happens to us. Here, here's what we also know. Um, we're lost before we know we're lost. It's so interesting. And, and that's true because if I knew when I got lost, I would just back the car up a quarter mile and be unlost. But I'm lost way before I realize it. In fact, I can drive for hours before I go, I do not know where I'm going. And this one makes no sense. Men, we go faster when we're lost. Isn't it true, men? I mean, I get lost and I put the pedal down because I want to get unlost faster and just goes deeper in it. But here, here's the challenging thing. We wind up, all of us, we wind up where the road we're on ends up. And that's true of your race, your religion, whether you're liberal, whether you're conservative, Democrat, Republican, whatever road you're on, it'll take you to where it takes you. And that is true when it comes to driving and directions, but also it comes true when it comes to living. In fact, that's true of every arena of our lives. You see, a driving direction is so predictable. You know this. If you drive south, you'll go south. Drive north, you'll go north. But it's also true of the lives we live in every arena. Now, thanks to technology, it's harder to get lost on the road because of our phones and GPSs. The cool thing, and you may not know this if you're new to this whole faith thing, and if you are, we're so glad you're with us, is there's been a principle around for thousands and thousands of years about how to know your destination when it comes to life. And what we've said about this path principle we've been talking about is that direction determines destination every time. And that makes so much sense when it comes to traveling, but it also makes so much sense when it comes to our lives financially, professionally, relationally, morally, spiritually, marriagely. We made that word up because it sounded cool. Parentingly, it makes sense in every area of life. And here's, here's what we know. When it comes to these areas, when you ask someone, hey, where do you think this is going? All of us have this in mind, some kind of intention with our lives. Hey, do you, do you have an intention when it comes to your marriage? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of like to be um, deeper in marriage, deeper in love, dating, you know, saying kind things to my spouse and her to me, you know, five years from now. That's a great intention. How, how about... Um, financially, yeah, I want to get this job. I want to be out of debt. I want to have it. This is my intention. How about morally? Yeah, I really don't want to undermine my own success when it comes to my morals. Intention is a powerful thing because we all have an intention. Think about any area of your life. You probably have an intention. This is what I want my kids to be and what I want them to do with their lives. At least I want my kids to be happy, right? The challenge is when it comes to intention, it's always trumped 
by direction. Hey, what do you want to do when it comes to your financial world? Well, I want to be out of debt in five years, debt-free. I want to be free from mortgage payments and car payments and credit card payments. It's a great intention. But if your direction is, I'm going to keep credit carding it up, buying cars I can't afford, and living in a home I can't afford either, I'm not going to ever be out of debt. Intention's great, and I love intention. But it's direction that changes the game. And so many times in our lives, what we want for our lives are undermined by our direction. This is what I know about you. You don't want that for you. I don't want that for you. And I am completely convinced that your heavenly father, whether you believe in God or not, does not want that for you. And you don't want that for your children, your family. I don't think you want that for your world. So I want to talk about that a little bit today. Now, this is the challenging part. This message is going to hit us all in the sensitive spots of our hearts and our souls today. It has. I've been living with this message for a couple weeks now, and like, oh man, this is going to be a rough one. And you may feel like, as I talk today, you're like, this is a rough one. And you may be tempted to say in your mind, hey, I wonder if Matt really means that. Well, I've been working on this quite a bit to make sure I'm ready for this morning, and I just want to assure you that most of what I say, I intend to say. As tough as it is for me, for you, for us, because I want us to move in a good direction with our lives. Now, let me just say this to get us on the tough road. Every one of you and me and us were unique. I believe that about all of you, that you were made in God's image, that when God designed you, I mean, he thought about it, and he got his creative you know, pad out and figured your life out to make you so unique and beautiful and wonderfully made. The challenging thing is your, your story is not. When you hear people's story, doesn't it kind of feel like sometimes I've heard that story a thousand times? It's because all of our stories are so very similar. And not just our story is not, but your path and my path is not. Our path, all of our paths as human beings is a well-traveled path by many, many, many people. Now what's so interesting about this is we find this because they've been talking about it through the scriptures for thousands and thousands of years. In fact, when you open up the scriptures, specifically the ancient Hebrew documents that we would call our Old Testament, we took the Old Testament and paired it up with the New Testament scriptures about Jesus, and that's our Bible, you find a book called Proverbs. And Proverbs was written by a man named Solomon, and you may have heard of him. He was known, you know, commonly as the wisest man that ever walked on the earth. What's interesting about Solomon, he was wisest on paper, but he did not put it into practice very well. And at the end of his life, Solomon's life was kind of a train wreck in all kinds of ways. But he still had this wisdom, and he writes this proverb which is really a parable, which means it's a, most likely a made-up story to illustrate a point. Now, this might be a true story I'm about to read you, but we think it's probably a parable to illustrate a point. And in this story, there's mainly two characters. There's a naive young man and a seductive married woman. Now, i got to get this out of the way. Ladies, women in the room, we do not think all of you are seductive married women. You have better intentions to that. I know you're way better than the person in this story, so I don't want you to be offended. And men in the room... Is when it comes to naive when you're young and old, you are, man. It's just the way it is. You are, I am. We're naive about most things. But it's this, this idea of Solomon sitting with some young men, like, kind of like in a half circle. And he's telling this young man this story about the seductive married woman and a young man who does not have a lot of wisdom. And he starts to talk about a direction. Something that started out as a pastime, I'm just going to do it as a diversion, something to take my mind off life, became a pathway that led to a destination. 
And what we're going to learn through the story, I'll just give you the bottom line ahead of the time, that good intentions, good intentions count for almost nothing. This is what Solomon says. He says, at the window of my house, I look down through the lattice. Now, this is the narrator of the story. And he's creeping on this young man, watching him out of his apartment window, through the window. And I saw among the simple, that's what he calls this young man, I noticed among the young men a youth who lacked judgment. That's really, really simple. You know how you get judgment? You have time and you have experience. That's how you get good judgment. That's why a young man struggles to have good judgment because he doesn't have a lot of time on the planet and he does not have a lot of experience to gain judgment and wisdom. So there's not much wisdom in this young man's life. He says he, the young man, was going down the street near, and here she is, her. And the music gets more serious. Walking along the direction, and that's our word for this today and the series. It's always about a direction in our lives. The direction of her house at twilight. And as the day was fading, I mean, it's twilight. It's feeling like the magic hour. As the dark of night set in. So there's two perspectives. There's a narrator watching and the young man walking. The narrator watching and the young man walking. And the narrator is watching this young man walk towards her house at twilight, and all he can think of is the Star Wars music when Darth Vader walks in. Dun, 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 dun. You know, that, that's all he can think. And the young man's just walking towards her house, and all he can think is, don't stop believing, baby. Come on, just this, you know, small-town girl. That's the setup for this story. This is what he says. Then, out came the woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute. I mean, Solomon's describing this. And with crafty intent, she is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. And in other words, this opportunity feels so unique, but it is everywhere. This is what he says. She, this married woman, took a hold of him and she kissed him. And with a brazen face, now hold, hold on just a second. This is where, in this story, it gets a little R-rated. It gets a little sensual. It gets a little sexy. She's literally bringing sexy back into this story. And this is, ready? So just brace yourself. I don't want you to be offended by this sensual talk. This is what she says. Today I fulfill my vows and I have food from my fellowship offering at home. That does not feel very sexy, does it? I mean, it was like we were all set up in fellowship offering. What does that have to do with anything like this? If you know the ancient Hebrew culture, what she probably had just done is go to the temple and she took a sacrifice and she made an offering to God and she emptied out her sin bucket. Whatever she'd done over the last week, last month, she emptied out. You know how you do that sometimes? You feel like you do that? Like you fill up your sin bucket and you come to church and you empty it out and then you're ready to go again. What she's saying to this young man is, I have emptied out my sin bucket. Let's go fill it back up again, baby. Isn't that a little more sensuous than food offerings and that kind of thing? So I've done these things. She says, so I came out to meet you, and I looked for you and have found you. And the young man's like, yeah, it's all about me. It's all about me. He's thinking with this scenario, I I'm one in a million. Solomon's saying, no, you're one of a million. You feel like this is so unique. You feel like this is so special. And you think you're one in a million. No, you're just one of a million. This is a, a path that's well-traveled. And every time we're like seduced into going in a direction because our world we feel like is a little crumbly, our marriage isn't so good, our 
job isn't so good, we're not having enough fun, we're bored, we're neglect, whatever it is. We feel like, hey, I'm so unique, and no one's ever experienced this. I'm so, I'm so disappointed with everything else in my life, I'm gonna go this way, but no one's ever felt like this. So I'm gonna say, no, you're not one in a million, you're one of a million. This is what she says, she says, I have covered my bed with covered linens from Egypt, and I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloe, and cinnamon. And, and the reason this is so important is 3,000 years ago, everybody, everybody was stinkalicious. I mean, everybody smelled terrible. There was not hot water that was accessible. Plumbing wasn't easy to find. Soap hadn't been invented like we have it. There weren't toothbrushes. Everybody, and this is kind of graphic, smelled like a porta potty. They did, it just was awful. Even rich people. If you feel like you're not a rich person, you're like 10% or 100% cleaner than the rich people were 3,000 years ago because they just didn't have access to cleanliness. And what she is saying is, I know the world, your world is putrid, young man. I, I, I know that it's just not very pleasant in the place that you're in. And I can rescue you from it. I can have something that you've never had. It's going to be perfect. You've got to come with me. It's so alluring. I'm taking care of every problem in your world. And she says, come. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. And then she must have read his mind and his biggest concern in that moment because she says, hey, by the way, my husband's not at home. That's really good news for you, young man. My husband is gone. And he's thinking, yes, 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 right? He has gone on a long journey, and he took his purse. Now, when I used to read this, I didn't know what to do with that. I mean, maybe it's a man purse. I don't know. He took his purse. I don't know how, why he'd have a purse. That's fine. I'm not judging. But if you look at the NASV, it's just a little bit different version of the Scripture's different take. This is what it means when you look at it through that lens, that my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him. And the young man in the story is thinking, okay, husband is gone for a long time. And she's rich. This could not be getting any better. Have you ever just looked into a situation and thought, this is such a great opportunity. I don't care what I lose to go in this direction. I'm just going for it. He's got a bag of money with him, and him, and he will not be home for or till full moon. We got time. We got time. We got time. Listen, young man, look, come, come with me. You can go down the wrong path but end up in the right place. You can do the wrong thing but be in a right place at the end of the day. That, that is the allure of this young man. You can do what's wrong and end up where is right. And that's what we're gonna address today. That's what we're trying to figure out. It's a path. The challenge for us is this is how a lot of us live, me included. I think I can go in this direction that's wrong and expect to end up where I should be at the end of the day. It goes on, with persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, all at once, he followed her. Now, again, cut this young kid a break. Of course he did. She's rich. She's beautiful. She's available and her husband's gone. And he's thinking, I'm a rock star. I'm like the guy that goes to the club and I don't have to wait in line. They just let me in. I'm the guy that gets on the yacht, smokes a big cigar with a bottle of champagne. I'm a rock star. This is, this is how it's supposed to be. This is what you dream about. It's just working. And the narrator, Solomon's like, no, no, you're not a rock star. You're not a rock star because he followed her like an ox going to slaughter. Solomon, come on, come on, come on. That's such, so depressing. This is a great moment and you're killing the great vibe of the story. No, no, no. He's like an ox to sl sl slaughter. He, he's like a deer 
stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver. You're such a bummer. You're, you're such a Debbie Downer. Why are you messing up this whole story? You may feel like that's in this message. You're like, man, this message is a buzzkill. Solomon's like, no, this is just a reality of it. All at once he followed her like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing that it will cost him his life. It won't cost me my life. It's just going to cost me some money and some time maybe, but it won't cost me my life. And Solomon's like, no, 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 no. It's going to cost you your life if you don't pay attention to where you're going. What started out as a diversion, as a little bit of a pastime, as something you just want to be a part of, is going to take you in a direction with a very specific destination. Now, in this point, the narrator of the story quits telling the story, and he pulls out of the story and starts to speak to the young man sitting at his feet. And he says to them, now, now then, my sons, listen to me and pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Well, it's not a path, Solomon. It's just a diversion. No, no, no. Now affects later. Today affects tomorrow. They're always connected. That's what good judgment is. He goes on to say, many are her victims and she is brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. You're not one in a million, young man. You're one of a million. Now, pull out of the story just for a minute. I ask you a quick question. Do, do you know why? Do you know why account, counselors appear to be so smart? Do you know why? And I'm a, I'm a big fan of counseling. I've gone to counseling several times with several different counselors. It's so funny. I've gone to counseling in Fort Wayne several times, different counselors, and I'll sit down in the chair and we'll start talking, and they'll ask me, like, hey, Matt, what do you do? And I'm like, I, well, I'm the lead pastor at Lifehouse Church. And twice this has happened to me. Two different guys. Oh, yeah, we have a bunch of your people come and see us every week. A bunch of them. And I'm like, well, I guess I'm not helping them very much. I'm glad you can. So you just keep feeding those counselors, kids, their food, and that's great. But, but do you know why? Do you know why counselors appear, appear to be so smart? It's because we are so predictable. It's, it's not like they're brilliant, but they are brilliant. But it's not just because they're brilliant. They have just seen a thousand people before you that travel a very similar path that you've traveled because we all are very predictable people and every direction has a destination. And you know this, when you're on the outside and you're watching somebody walk in a specific direction, it's not hard to see, say that's where they're going and it's not good. And we go to see a counselor or you come to talk to a pastor because we want to fix but we don't need a fix because there's no fixes for our life. We need a change of direction. And Solomon's point is, listen, this little diversion became a path. This little thing that you only did on Monday, or only drank on Friday, or only hung out with her you know, at lunch hour for 10 minutes, it became something way bigger and became a pathway. And this is what he says. Her house, back to this seductive woman, is a highway. No, her house isn't a highway. It's just a house. No, it's a highway because it's taking you somewhere. Her house is a highway to the grave. Man, that's strong leading down to the chambers of death. Yes, it's taking you in a direction. And here's what's fascinating. Your house, this house, does not have to be sexual. Obviously, the story's around sexuality, but it doesn't have to be. They're going to be about how much you work or how much you spend or how much you drink or how little you spend time with your kids. It's all about a pastime. Some of you are doing for fun on the side, turning into a pathway that led you to a regrettable destination in your life and mine. And I just need you to know that there has been many times I've woken up in my life and went, oh, crap, I am, 
I'm on a pathway. And I'm not pleased with myself. And I've got to figure this out, just like you may feel that right now. Go back to what we said earlier. It's because you are unique and I'm unique and made in special ways, but your experience is not. And your path is not. It's well-traveled. And here's the struggle for some of us. Maybe you're listening to this and you're thinking, yeah, somebody's tried to point that out to me. Somebody's tried to talk to me about it. Somebody, somebody who can see what you don't see. And somebody who can see what you won't see. And they've tried to bring it up and they've tried to help you see it and you don't want to see it and I don't want to see it because it's so unpleasant to see. But your heavenly father does not want you to be a victim of the principle of the path, which just simply says the direction. We're going to add this today. Not intention determines destination. Direction, not intention determines destination. So just to try and shake us a little bit out of maybe the paths and the thinking that we're on, I'm going to read you some statements that are disconnects between my intention and the path I'm on. And I'm going to tell you as I read these, they're going to be uncomfortable for all of us. But I'm not doing it to shame you or make you feel bad. I'm doing it so we would all maybe just wake up a little bit and go, you know what? That's not a path I want to live on. So let me read you some disconnects between intention and direction. Here's one. I want to meet a great Christian guy or gal who's really got his act together. So I'm going to go out with whoever I ask me if he's cute or if she's cute. That's a disconnect. I want to meet somebody specific, but I'm going to go out with anybody that asks. I want to marry a man like my father because I respect him so much. Or I don't want to marry a man like my father because I don't respect him. But I'm still going to date everybody, young people, single people, older single people. You know, that, that's a path. And it will trump your directions every time. I want our family to be union, everybody on the same page, looking forward to vacations together. So I'm going to work all the time. And then one day we're going to go on a magical vacation, just all pile in the car together, we're going to get along perfectly. Have you ever tried that disaster? It doesn't work, does it? It takes time together, quality and quantity. Path trumps intention every time. How about this? I want my kids. It's going to be painful to respect me, get advice from me, so I'm going to fool around on their mama. You, you may be tempted to say, and I get it online in the building, Matt, Matt you're judging me, you're judging me. You're ju-. No, I'm just answering the question why your kids don't come to you as an adult for advice. We, we can't trade in our credibility and then expect our credibility to be there. The path is a highway. It's like I-75 going south. It's gonna take you south every time if you go south on I-75. Here's a challenging one. I want God to bless me financially, and so I'm not going to give him anything. No, none of my money, none of my time, none of my effort, but I want him to bless me financially. It's a path. It's a disconnect. This is not how the world works. It's not how your Heavenly Father created it to work. I, I want to grow old and invest in my grandchildren, so I'm going to neglect my health. How about this? I want my children to be brought up with the same Christian values I had, so we're going to the lake on Sundays or to sporting events on Sundays or we're going to dance every Sunday. Whatever your Sunday is, which we all face. And you would say, no, 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 no. Matt, my intention is I want to raise our kids to be part of a church. And let's just be honest, this is way better kids' world than what I grew up in, probably you too. I mean, it's so awesome back there. If I could have been in this world when I was a kid, I would have never left church. But if you want them to be part of it, you've got to be part of it any way you can. I'm going to struggle with this at lunch today. 
I want to lose weight, so supersize that, would you? I mean, that's just not so true. I mean, it's just so painful. I want to have a great relationship with my husband, so I'm going to make the children in our lives a priority all the time over my husband or my wife. It doesn't work that way. I would just say, if you have kids, when's the last time you took a vacation without your kids? I dare you to do it. They will freak out and be mad, but it's the best thing you can do for them. Because mom and dad loving each other deeper is the best thing you can do if you can make that happen. I don't, I don't want to live with financial pressure, so I'm going to live beyond my means. It's a disconnect. I want, I want a great sex life once I'm married, so I'm going to practice with the people I date until then. Ask a couple that's been married for 40 years. Well, I dare you to ask them, hey, how's your sex life? Now, be careful with that question. That's weird. But you run into a couple that has a great sex life for 30, 40 years. I bet you won't hear them say, we have a great sex life because we just slept with everybody we could before we got married. I'm just betting you won't hear that. Last one. I want to know God, so I'm going to read Facebook more than I read Scripture. It's a path. It's a destination. The question for this, the question that we have to ask is, are the paths you're on and I'm on going to lead you to where you want to be? Are they? Because the principle of the path says direction, not intention, not ever intention, not even once trumps destination. Direction, not intention, determines destination. And the goal of this message, just hear me, I hope you can believe this, is not to make you feel ashamed. It's not to even make you feel guilty. It's to go, there is a better path for you to lead. And we know this because Jesus, he showed up on the planet and he went to the most you know, sinful, misguided, misdirected people that had ever lived, like Matthew the tax collector. And you would think Jesus would go, hey, on God's behalf, Matthew, get the hell out of here. You're done. Nah. Jesus looked at Matthew and said, hey, Matthew, with all your misguided paths and all your regrets and all your shame, follow me. Go where I go. Learn what I know, and I will be the Savior and the Lord of your life. And Matthew did, and it changed his entire future. And that's the invitation today. For some of you, you're reaping the benefits of I'm on a, been on a pretty good path, and I'm really thankful. For some of you, you may have realized in the middle of the message, oh, I need to change directions. For some of you, you might even feel like you've arrived at a destination. And you're like, oh, I did not want to be here. And here's the fortunate news. It's a great day to take a right turn, but it's going to take a lot of work. It's a great day to take a turn, and God is going to be with you and give you the strength to do this. But it's going to take a lot of effort and a refocusing of your direction. And I need to warn you, if you do this, there's going to be people that do not understand. Your family will not understand. Your future ex-fiance will not understand why you go home and go, you know what? You're not what God wants for me. You're not the right one. I am out of here. And if he gives you problems, bring him to me. I will friendly talk to him in the kindest way I possibly can for you. I promise. And we have guys that will take care of him that are barely Christians around here. They'll never find his body again, I promise you. Your drinking buddies might not understand. Well, come on. We're going to down that case of beer. No. Listen, we got kids now. We're not 19 anymore. And I'm not against having a beer. I'll have a beer with you for lunch today. But come on, I don't, we're not doing that. I got kids. 
trying to follow something. I'm trying to be on a path for my family and my wife and my job. And I got to go work tomorrow and professionally. I got some goals that I want to be a part of because I want to impact our world. What I promise you is when we decide to match up our intentions with our direction, your heavenly father will join you because he loves you so much. We're like Matthew. Matthew, I know you're a disaster. You're a tax collector. And Jesus goes, come on, man. Let's walk to a better life, a greater life, without the regrets that you're about to run into. And that's the invitation. I I wish I had a better step for you other than, listen, it's time for us to determine the direction we want to take with our lives. What I can promise you is God will never abandon you as you walk in that path. And if you're here and you don't believe, it's a great day to start following. You don't even have to leave here believing everything. In fact, listen, you don't have to leave here believing anything But maybe make the choice. I'm going to start following where Jesus goes. I'm going to see where it takes me. And it might take you to the place it's taken so many of us that we wake up one day and go, you know what? I believe in Jesus because he is the savior of the world and he has made my life better and made me better at life. So come on, let's do this. Parents, single people, older people like me, let's find the path we want to go on and let's run towards a destination that's good for us and our family and our world. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I don't know where this lands with people in this room. For some, they're probably so grateful for the path they're on. For others, they feel devastated. Maybe they're even mad at you, God, for where they've ended up. I just pray that you'd give us the strength to right turn today and call on your name for help and put our trust in who you are. But Lord, give us the courage and give us the strength to do what's best for us and our families and the people in our lives and for the people that have hard decisions to make, hard conversations to have. I pray that you'd be with them and help them to have that. Thanks for your immense, amazing love. In Jesus' name I pray.